If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. If your skin doesn't know whether to break out or wrinkle, if you're caught between planning the third grade class party and researching retirement plans, or if you want to work out but the idea of CrossFit makes your 40-something knees ache, you've come to the right place. Welcome to This Unmillennial Life. I'm your host, Reagan Jones, and welcome to today's show. A while back, a listener of the show asked that I try to address some topics related to anxiety and panic disorder. I was fortunate enough to get introduced online to today's guest, Dr. Lotta McGinn, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and the co-founder of Cognitive Behavioral Consultants. You're going to hear in my interview with Dr. McGinn a good clarification about the difference between having an anxiety attack and having a panic attack. I want to acknowledge up front that after doing this interview, I realized that I tend to use the words panic attack way too casually. Panic attacks, as you're going to hear in this interview, are a really serious set of conditions that are obviously a mental disorder, but they have some physiological symptoms that go with them that truly are traumatizing in the moment for people who experience them. So I want to make that clarification because I think it's important that when we talk about mental health and mental health disorders, that we begin to get the language right. It's only fair to people who are living with these conditions that we acknowledge the severity of it and then for ourselves to better understand where we actually fall on the spectrum of these anxiety issues and disorders. So that's the clarification going into my interview. I hope that you enjoy this. I hope that it provides some insight that you otherwise wouldn't have had in case you or someone in your life is now suffering from or suffers in the future from panic attacks. And with that, I'll I'll say, Dr. McGinn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Reagan. Thank you for inviting me. I think that one of the first things that we need to do for people is to really describe what is a panic attack. I mean, many people use the word panic attack to mean that they're anxious, but a panic attack is quite specific. It's a sudden, intense episode of fear uh, and dread, uh, so accompanied by a range of physical symptoms ranging anywhere from having a racing heart to trembling or shaking, feeling lightheaded. You know, they could even feel faint. Um, They experience the breathing that happens in a panic attack as shortness of breath. Uh, They might even feel as if they're choking. 
They can have stomach symptoms, nausea, abdominal distress, even get chest pain, which can be confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then cold and hot chills. They can even sweat excessively um, and may even feel numbness or tingling sensations around their body, mostly in their mouth or you know, fingers and toes. And sometimes they have a sense of unreality. They might feel detached from their body or feel sort of cut off from sort of an unreal feeling. Um, and people who have panic disorder now, not just panic attacks, which can be common, um, they actually start to fear that these panic attacks are going to, somehow they're going to die, they're going to go crazy or lose control. Mm-hmm. And then they start becoming afraid of them mm-hmm. and then start to avoid future attacks and they start to change their behaviors because they think they want to ward off those attacks. So when they have that, that's called agoraphobia. And that is a very clear delineation between what I kind of have thought of panic attacks in the past, which I I would gather is more like a moment of extreme anxiety. I have talked Mm. to other women who've described what they thought were panic attacks. But when I hear this cluster of symptoms, I feel like maybe what they were experiencing or I've experienced would just be more generalized anxiety. Are you, mm-hmm. can you just kind of clarify a little bit for people how those two differ? Yeah. Cause general anxiety is when you get, you know, anxious and you're worried about something and you might be preoccupied with it. You might be stressed out. Uh, people who have generalized anxiety uh, could also have it in the form of a disorder in, in which case it's just happening a ton mm-hmm. and they're worried about a lot of things in their lives. But, you know, generally people feel anxious. So when generalized anxiety becomes a problem, people who worry, worry about a lot of things and it sort of affects their functioning. They can't control them. Um, and then again, it can change, it can affect their behavior, but a panic attack is quite different. It's really these symptoms all come together and they come within a few minutes of, of them. And if you think you've had a panic attack, likely you've never had one mm-hmm. because it's such a dramatic feeling that it's not something that you can mistake for anything else. And you say that there are moments within people's lives that they are, um, that panic attacks are more often to occur. Is that the case? Yeah, I think in general, when you have panic attacks, and again, we're not talking necessarily about having panic disorder now, but mm-hmm. if you have panic attacks, it's usually in the context of something stressful. So you might have just had a stressful event or within the last six months or so. So that, you know, can bring it on. For people, it's ultimately a stress-sensitive issue with anxiety after all. And who then do you see that is most susceptible if there is a group of people that are most or more susceptible? I would say first and foremost, women are more susceptible to having panic attacks, panic disorder, generalized anxiety, stress and other types of anxiety disorders, depression, Mm -hmm. it's essentially uh, more common in women. Uh, So that's one. I think for people who have multiple panic attacks, um, you know, and go on to even develop panic disorder, uh, generally they have family members who have anxiety or depression. So it's partly genetic, partly environmental. There are many different, you know, sort of things that contribute to why someone has panic disorder. 
but those would be some of the most common ones. And I know that one of the things that you're doing to help raise awareness now in Mental Health Month is to really give people tips for dealing with panic attacks. So we would be talking somewhat about sort of short-term options. I want to talk also about long-term options, but can you go through some of your main tips uh, in dealing with panic attacks? Sure. So the first thing to remember is that if you're having panic attacks, um, you know, it, it's probably that you're going through some stress. So dealing with the stressful event would be a good idea at that moment, rather than trying to stop the attack. Because um, one of the things is that, you know, if you get afraid of panic attacks, actually, it ironically makes you have more panic attacks, because ultimately, panic attacks are really your body's response to danger. It actually is there to protect you from danger. So if you start to become afraid of the panic attacks, you then start becoming, um, telling your brain that you're in danger. So then your brain gives you more panic attacks. So as a result, you know, kind of remembering that you're having panic attacks means that the brain is trying to protect you. Uh, So basically it's sort of helping yourself see that it's not, you can't really stop a panic attack in the middle of an episode. Mm -hmm. You just basically are confirming to your brain that you're in danger So really letting yourself just have the panic attack wash away, Mm -hmm. uh, even though it feels difficult, just sort of saying to yourself, my brain thinks I'm in danger. That's why it's giving me this anxiety. It's making me strong right now so that if I was in danger, I could fight or flee from that. It's called the fight-flight response biologically. So just telling yourself that it's helpful because then as your brain senses that you're not really in danger, it just passes on its own. So the more you try to escape or avoid it, uh, it'll actually make your brain think you're actually in danger. So it's better not to do that. There are other tips as well that they could do. So for example, in that moment, thinking to yourself, I'm not going to run away, I'm not gonna fight, I'm just gonna sit here, tolerate it. And then after that, or you know, let's say generally you're prone to anxiety, um, learning sort of meditative breathing or deep slow breathing exercises can help regulate your oxygen and carbon dioxide in general, but trying to do it in the middle of a panic attack is not helpful mm-hmm. because you really just, you, you can't really stop a panic attack once it starts. So just, it's, a, it's sort of because it also confirms to your brain that you're in danger. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't work and it's not helpful for the long term. Mm-hmm. So it's really best to just let it just go and tell yourself that you're going to be okay. What about long-term options and long-term treatment? What advice do you give to people who are thinking to themselves, okay, I know now what to do maybe in the moment, but what can I do long-term other than just addressing the issue head-on? Do I need to seek medical um, and professional help? Yeah, you know, I would say that if you've never had a panic attack before and this is the first time you're having it, it's certainly worth it to go to your internist, you know, and just get get checked out because the most common reason, common other reason why you might be having responses like that is maybe you have some thyroid condition. Mm-hmm. So it's unlikely, but it's still worth it because in young women who, you know, panic attacks usually begin in sort of the early 20s for women, you know, between 20 and 24. And it's not to say men don't suffer from them, but generally people get them at that, that age. So the most common thing would be thyroid. So go get it ruled out. But what tends to happen is people who have panic attacks are, you know, sane and rational and they know something is wrong. So often when they go to a doctor and they tell them that they're medically fine, 
then they don't feel fine. So the next thing is to definitely come to a mental health specialist, to somebody who specializes not just in therapy, but somebody who actually specializes in the treatment of panic disorder. So the type of therapy that you want to seek uh, for this is called cognitive behavior therapy. Uh, and so, you know, once your doctor has ruled out sort of a physical basis of panic attacks, it's really not good to keep going back and getting unnecessary medical tests over and over again, which people with panic tend to do. Mm-hmm. So cognitive behavior therapy, or the acronym is CBT, has been shown to be very effective in treating panic disorder and agoraphobia. So what the treatment would involve is people are really educated as kind of what you and I are talking about, but more in detail about what panic attacks are. We actually go through, you know, the biological basis for it, the evolutionary basis for it. We actually go into teaching them why this fight flight response is occurring, even though they're not in danger. Um, And basically after that educational period, they really, you know, are trained to examine the way they're thinking in the moment and to change their thoughts. So these thoughts that come over them that tell them that they're going to die or go crazy or lose control are ironically making the panic attacks worse. Mm -hmm. So we teach them ways to, in a sense, rewire their brain Mm -hmm. so that it teaches their brain that they're not in danger, not just sort of insight, you know, in the office, but it teaches them how to talk to themselves differently in the moment. So that way the brain gets the message, wow, you know, she's not in danger right now. So I think that's really, uh, and that takes some time to sort of teach those exercises and to use them in the moment. Um, and after that, uh, we do teach them, you know, sort of breathing exercises, sort of ways to reduce physical tension. Um, but that is more as a way of calming them in general throughout the day. It's not really to ward off a panic attack or to stop it in the middle. Um, and then centrally, a lot of the treatment involves having them go to th- places um, that they are avoiding in the moment. Um, you know, like some people will stop going out of the house or they always want someone to accompany them or they may not go to a mall or go to a tall building. So we help them confront these um, places so that they they, they learn and their brain learns that these places are not dangerous for them. So relatedly, another thing we do is to get them to you know, experience those physical sensations in the office uh, you know, that come with a panic attack. So as they experience them, that's called exposure therapy, um, they experience them and learn that they're not actually dangerous, that all these symptoms are helpful, maybe unpleasant, but mm-hmm helpful symptoms because anxiety really is a signal to your brain that you're in danger. So these are all protective. So as, as a result, as they experience them in the office, they, the anxiety associated with them starts to come down. And then as these uh, sensations start to feel less dangerous, the brain then st- stops producing them in the long term. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things we stress is that Whatever they try to do in the moment to escape it or avoid it, even though in the moment it makes them feel better, it actually is bad for you in the long term because it teaches your brain 
that you are actually in danger, which is the last thing we want. Um, so we help, help them do it's called sort of, it's sort of preventing your natural action tendency. So meaning that let's say, you know, you were in front of a lion, you have these violent reactions occur and, you know, you look and you see a lion, so you just run and you fight. But if you have these sensations and you run and fight, your brain continues to think you're in danger. So it's helping them stop that reaction so that that way the brain learns in the future. Now, Dr. McGinn, before we wrap up for today, is there anything else on panic attacks or mental health month in general that you think this audience needs to know? I'll say two things. One is that when people have medical problems, like let's say an allergy during high pollen counts, you know, people will think nothing of going to the doctor. When you have panic attacks or anxiety or depression, it's important to not you know, load yourself up with the shame and stigma that comes from thinking I have something psychological. It's important to treat it just like you would if you had an asthma attack or, you know, allergies and just go in and see a doctor, but make sure you see the right doctor uh, because a lot of people, you know, the term therapist is really not a licensed um, uh, word. So it's important that you go to the right professional uh, someone who actually does cognitive behavior therapy and is trained to do it for anxiety. Um, so if they would like further information, they can certainly reach, uh, you know, websites. Um, so one of them would be www.cbc-psychology.com. Uh, and there are lots of resources on the website that they can use. Uh, and also, if they need help, they can you know call somebody to get help. Okay, thank you so much for making that clarification and for sharing that website as a resource. Um, let people know how they can connect with you on the web. Yeah, so I think that they can certainly go to the website I mentioned, www.cbc-psychology.com, uh, or they can reach me at uh, www.drlottamagin.com. Well, Dr. McGinn, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Reagan. Uh, it's a great show, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. Okay, that wraps up my interview with Dr. McGinn. I do want to acknowledge that after we stopped taping, she and I had a wonderful conversation about the importance of acknowledging and discussing mental health issues and mental health in general for women of all ages, but especially women in this unmillennial life phase. As our hormones change after we've gone, for many of us, through childbirth, as we are approaching perimenopause or even crossing over to a postmenopausal time, Dr. McGinn and I both discussed that there is still so much taboo around the subject of mental health. And one of the things that I had shared with her is I find it ironic that our brain is an organ in our body, just like any other organ that we are trying to take care of and do the right things for. But yet when we seek out support for mental health issues, it's often viewed as a taboo issue. So I am going to be working with her and other guests on future episodes to address some of the more common mental health issues and concerns that we all seem to have at this life phase. So with that, I'm going to take a very short break and come back for the wrap-up odds and ends ending of today's show.
Listeners of This Unmillennial Life can now get a free audiobook download from Audible with a free 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unmillennial. That's audibletrial.com slash unmillennial. We're heading into the summer travel season. Make every drive a little more enjoyable by adding a new book to your lineup. Welcome back. Now, as we close out today's show with the odds and ends ending, I want to acknowledge that we are actually closing in on the last few episodes of season two. It is hard to believe this season has flown by. I've enjoyed producing every episode for you, and I am busy producing episodes for season three, which will kick off in the fall of the year. But because this episode is being released in real time in the late spring, which is right before graduation for for many families that we know, and it's almost hard for me to believe that some of the people graduating from high school this year are daughters and sons of people that I graduated high school with, but that is the life stage that we are in. I wanted to include here at the odds and ends ending a mention of a gift that would be perfect for any graduate that you know, and that is the brand new cookbook from my friend and colleague, Katie Morford. Katie is a registered dietitian, but she more importantly is a culinary expert with years of experience testing recipes and perfecting them for books like her newest one, Prep, The Essential College Cookbook. This is such a good idea for a cookbook and such a good idea for a gift. Let me just read you a little bit of the description of this cookbook. New to the kitchen? living on your own for the first time. Don't be intimidated. This useful guide has everything you need to cook yourself real meals with real food. Centered around 10 basic lessons to get you comfortable in the kitchen, this book will get you whipping up nutritious meals, satisfying snacks, and simple desserts for you and your friends in no time. I love the idea of this book because I know that one of the things we have heard about the millennial generation, so the generation that is actually wedged in between us and this new generation that is going into college now, is that millennials were actually skipped in learning a lot of these essential kitchen skills the life skills that we need as adults in learning how to cook nutritious meals for ourselves are certainly not necessarily taught in school anymore. And busy parents are often not able to pass that information down to their children. So if you know someone who is graduating that needs the very basic guidance on how to cook very basic things, then Katie's book is a wonderful idea. Again, it's called Prep, The Essential College Cookbook. It is available on Amazon. It is a brand new release, and I will include a link to the show notes here in the odds and ends ending section of today's show. So with that, we will wrap up today's episode. As a reminder, many of the episodes of this season have been direct requests from listeners like you. If you have a topic that you've been thinking about, feel free to log on to thisamillennialife.com slash guest ideas and send me your thoughts or reach out to me. Simply send me an email, reagan at thisamillennialife.com. You can message me on social media at ReaganJonesRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. This Unmillennial Life is available wherever you and your friends listen to your favorite podcasts, including Apple iTunes, Spotify, the NPR One app, and Pandora's podcast streaming platform. 
with summer coming, it is a great time to recommend friends get familiar with this unmillennial life and go back and listen to seasons one and seasons two in preparation for season three, which will be coming in the fall. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, for listening, subscribing, and downloading. Hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to This Unmillennial Life with Reagan Jones. Musical support provided by Ben Williams of Kudzu Studios. Website support provided by Katie Widrick of MakeMediaOver.com. On behalf of the podcast, we invite you to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.